Welcome to AFPT Comics Podcast, episode 14, which we've dubbed Fast Times at 14 High. Don't know why? Don't care. My name's David Brooke, and I'm one of your co-hosts, and with me is my other co-host. Hello! I am Forrest with two R's, but my DJ name is Forrest with one R. Ooh, mysterious. It gets very confusing. (laughs) I bet. This is the show where we talk about the latest news, keep you up to date on what's going on in the comics realm. Uh, Not only do we pick some of our favorite books, but we talk about next week, too. To start every show, we talk about the news. And this week, there is plenty of it, thanks to WonderCon uh, happening this weekend. Uh, Lots of news comes out of conventions every every time. And... um, also, some other stuff that's happening that's been ongoing and that we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks on this show. To start, though, a little positive news. Actually, not a little positive, big positive news. And that's the fact that Teeny Howard has signed a Marvel exclusive contract. Yeah, congratulations to her. Um, also, congratulations to Marvel. Mm. Her Captain America annual number one that uh, came out late last year, was that 2018, yep. I think, um, was one of the best issues I read that year. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fantastic. It was really great character focus. She really dug right into the core of what Captain America is, what he should be. I was definitely like, ooh, yeah, mm, yes, this is good Captain America writing. <laughs> um, and so seeing, like, she, I really like the Age of Conan Belit story that she did or is working on now. Um, I know she's got a Thanos story coming up. She's also announced a Death's Head miniseries that she's going to be doing. I like the stories that she picks. Mm-hmm. I like the things that she's into. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm really, really excited to see her get the tap from Marvel. You know, I'm interested. I'm I'm into it. I'm really excited. I also just seen more women and other other people get this exclusivity, which really, like you were saying, we were talking before the show, Dave, means don't write for DC. Yeah, Yeah, typically, yeah. Yeah. um, it's cool. I The last two people I can think of were Donny Cates and Ed Brisson. Yep. Um, and so seeing a woman get it, I feel really great about yeah. it. Yeah. It doesn't happen very often. This kind of news, what do, you, what do you think? Once or twice a year, if that? If that, yeah. Most creators are allowed to kind of do what they want. And I, I assume Teeny uh, can continue on with her, her books at IDW and other indie sort of publishing houses. Mm-hmm. Valiant. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But uh, yeah, this is this is great news, I think, because we're also getting a different perspective. And her writing has always had a, a unique feel. It may have had an indie feel, but that's good because it kind of gives you, a, again, a different perspective. So it'll be interesting to see what she does. Obviously, the books that you noted, the Thanos book and the Death's Head book, uh, are mm-hmm. probably going to give us a, a different sort of angle on the characters, especially, especially Death Head. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think the pitches or, you know, conversations at the writer summits are probably why Marvel picked her. Yep. Um, and that's such a vote of confidence and it makes me excited. It's infinitely, it's to piggy, piggyback off of what we were talking about last week. I'm more excited about this than I am off of someone saying that Hickman was planning his story for a year. Bum, bum, bum. Which we will talk about in a few minutes, actually. <laughs> but you're right. It, it, what's interesting about Hickman, too, is not to talk about Hickman too much, but on, on this p- point, but... Hickman is, you know, we only know he's writing two six-issue books, but we, he's not exclusive. We don't know how long it'll last. We don't have, like, a big-picture idea of what he's doing, so it feels like a blip. Whereas right. Teeny getting this exclusive contract, we know she's going to be around for a while and headlining some big books. 
Yeah, absolutely. It makes me very excited to kind of get into the teeny-verse. <laughs> teeny-verse, I like it. <laughs> In our next bit of news... TM, TM, TM. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Get, start printing the shirts now, buddy. I'm going to trademark her name. Someone that uh, should never... That, who Who is bigger than being trademarked is Steve Ditko, who's the next bit of our news. Uh, his self-published work is getting collected for Bookstore Market. Um, this is pretty awesome. Uh, obviously, he's one of the most important artists ever in comics. Uh, he designed the Spider-Man costume. He designed the mystical realm uh, in Doctor Strange's universe. He was a huge part of Marvel starting and and and, and you know capturing imaginations of, of children and everyone around the globe. And now we're going to get to see some of his more experimental personal work. The 32 series, it's called? I'm intrigued even by the name. And maybe that's what it is, 32 series. Obviously, people know the heroic work, the Marvel yep. work, the DC work, stuff that he did, but not this stuff, myself included. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm definitely going to pick it up. I'm very excited. They're selling it through Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And I just recently found out that Steve Ditko was a fetish artist from like the 1950s through the 1970s under a pseudonym. Um, and so <laughs> that kind of kooky, weird stuff. Um, and also very cool, like the artistic spectrum is so large that yeah you can narrow it down to spider-man or a different aesthetic in dr strange but artists tend to have a wide palette of interests that they are both conversant in and pulling from and these are stories that he told later in his life he passed away last year but these are stories that he created later in his life and i'm, I'm really interested in seeing how his art and how his interests changed over time Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. We know we know what he's he did in, at the early stages and throughout most of his career, but not at the end. Yeah, and so um, they're hopeful that this will be the widest audience that these books have ever been pitched to, that they've ever been available to. And mm. I mean, at least myself included, I think that that's probably true. Makes sense to go through the bookstore market. Talking about markets, in our next bit of news, IDW are they in trouble? I think so. <laughs> this is maybe the fourth time we've talked about IDW in the news. And, you know, we only started this show at the beginning of January. <laughs> IDW, uh, JP Morgan has been hired to review the company and to maximize stockholder value. Now, I don't know if you've been listening to our show, but we've talked a bit about in the past about how IDW has been putting all their money into TV and movie uh, opportunities, which everyone knows, costs millions and millions of dollars. And their now CEO, which we talked about, I think, two weeks ago, is who was put in place as CEO, actually fronted a bunch of money, gave a loan to IDW to help this venture move forward. But in this latest news, it sounds like maybe people aren't so happy within, and they've got JP Morgan coming in and going, okay, we need a whole review of what's going on, what are our assets, what's happening. And this could spell... You know, a big change for IDW in the, the near future. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just a bit of a, a quote here from Newsarama about it. This comes a few weeks after a representative from ADW Capital Partners, who owns roughly 9% of IDW, released a letter calling for the company to be acquired. Adam mm-hmm. Wyden said the recent acquisitions of Valiant and Miller World by Netflix set a precedent for IDW's market value, especially given this company is larger as a comics company than those other two examples. IDW is in an enviable position as the fourth largest, fourth largest comic book publisher by dollar share, a.k.a. 
please get this, get rid of this. Right. It's worth so much right now. We need to drop it before it's not. <laughs> yeah. In that same article, uh, it noted that they have 200 franchises yeah. that they own yep. or co-own. That's a lot. <laughs> and you can you can start to see, we talked about Altered Carbon last week um, yep. and other franchise series like Dumbo and Frozen and stuff going over to Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. You can start to see franchise comics get picked up by other publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to I don't want to paint a narrative that IDW is completely failing or that they're reneging on all these partnerships that they have with other publishers, but or other media holders or other franchises. But it's interesting to see those titles, those properties go to Dark Horse or even indie titles, indie publishers over right. IDW. Um, right. And then you chart alongside that, maybe not causation, but certainly a bit of a correlation that IDW is having board members indicted for fraud, um, that they're not able to launch any of their live action properties despite like a $26 million loan, and that they have 9% worth of shareholders saying, we need to sell this. Mm -hmm. It doesn't inspire confidence. Right. And that's something that's very important, especially with shareholders. Yeah, absolutely. So bringing in JP Morgan to say you need to maximize the value for the shareholders seems to me to say capitalize on the catalog that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe that is to say IDW is intentionally not pursuing any of those franchises that are going to other places, or they're trying to capitalize on things right now in a kind of flash in the pan moment because they're losing steam. I mean, they do still have that relationship with Marvel Um, next week, Black Panther. They Mm -hmm. have a, a kid's, focused Black Panther series coming out. Mm -hmm. Those IDW Marvel adventure books. I know there's a Spider-Man series too. Yeah. They have some Star Wars ones. So that's kind of an interesting element in all this. Um, I'm going to just call it out right now. Marvel is going to buy IDW in 2019. (laughs) I know it's interesting. It's it's particularly interesting to me because this news started when, when we kind of started doing this podcast. So it's like, it's like the the first arc of our first year of the show is going to be about IDW and what's going on with them. Yeah, and it's I wish them the best. I think that they have a really talented crop of creators um and no doubt editors. Um it seems to be largely a management issue from the outside looking in, of course. Mm-hmm. Um but it seems to be a largely managerial, um largely mm-hmm. funding structure based problem and I um Wish nothing but the best to the creators as this keeps going. Oh, that's nice of you. Do you wish nothing but the best for our next bit of news and uh. that creator? <laughs> in our next bit of news, uh, Marvel keeps putting out full-page ads in their comics for Jonathan Hickman's upcoming books, House of X and Power of Ten. I mean Power of X. I mean Power of Ten. <laughs> uh, and in this ad that ran in most of their books last week, it's again a full page white with just some text that reads in quotes, well, here's the thing, Charles, dot, dot, dot. It's not a dream if it's real, which we have to assume is probably someone close to Charles saying that. I would guess Magneto myself. Yeah, I think it's probably Magneto or a villain. Someone who he's in conflict with. Yeah, right. Someone that's trying to be like, this is, these are the stakes. This is real. This is, Charles is going to be grappling with coming back to the real world. 
Yep. Right. Um, from the astral plane, and it could be. I guess it could be Phantom X saying that to him. Could be. Like, nah, yeah. dude, you're you're back. You got to do stuff. Right. Right. I did see the writer um, that picked up this news for Bleeding Cool say that it could be Moira McTaggart who was sitting on the bench with him. Thank uh-huh. you for correcting us, uh, Chris Hassan, our X Men comics editor at large. Yeah, um, I think we said um, it was Jean Grey last we week. We did, and I apologize. Um, I saw the the uh, Bleeding Cool author for this news say that it could be Moira, and I'm not sure if that's just based off of the closeness of Moira and Charles's relationship or based off of the cover of those books. Um, I'm not really sure exactly where that's coming from, but it's an interesting angle. Yeah. You know, what's interesting most to me about all of this is just how – Marvel's going all in on this. I mean, this is the third full-page ad in their books in three weeks in a row, right? And Mm -hmm. they don't know. This isn't normal. They don't always do this. I can't even remember the last time they did do this. I know they've done something like this where it's only one week, though. It's not over. I mean, are we going to get more next week? I don't know. They did the um, most recently the Cosmic Ghost Rider Destroys Marvel History were those, were those were those in the books or were those online? Those only? were I don't remember. purely social media. That's what I thought. Yeah, um, but they were similar to this, right? Where they just kind of tease something out. Um, this is, seems to be the next step for that, a higher tier. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of people are excited about it, but it's also mm-hmm. interesting in that it equally a lot of people are very frustrated by it. Um, actually, one of the comments on this bleeding cool news says, "Well, here's the thing, Charles." It's not a continuity if it's rebooted every six months. <laughs> yeah, and that's something that a lot of us have to deal with when it comes to big, the big two, especially Marvel. Yeah, um, and especially with stuff like this where it, they, none of these ads make it clear what the story is, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. the future is for the X-Men, or what the intent is for any of the creators. Which kind of goes along with Jonathan Hickman's style. Right. It, to- it totally does. Um, and I think that's a, this is interesting in that Marvel's really letting him have the reins. Mm-hmm. And the, the same way that it's exciting to have a vote of confidence in Teeny Howard or Donny Cates or Ed Brisson, you're seeing a vote of confidence in Hickman, but Hickman has a much more storied career than the rest of right. those creators. Um, oh, and yeah. so I think your mileage may vary based on Hickman's name alone which they're really banking on. But you can see online plenty of people who are not excited about that. Just uh, a day or two ago, I was on Reddit. I was on, I think, our comic books, and people were talking about East West, his image comic series, mm. Jonathan Hickman's yeah. image comic series. And what was fascinating to me was, it was, it was a lot of comments. Uh, people were just sort of chatting about the series. There were like 15 comments that were positive. People who liked the book, but fully admitted it makes no sense and they don't know what's going on. And yeah. some people were like, I still buy it, but I'm not going to read it until he finishes because I, I'm, I'm sick of like being confused. <laughs> so I need the whole story. And it made me think, this is, this is what X-Men fandom likes, though. They like a story. Now, I don't want to speak for everyone, but they, a lot of people like a story, especially with X-Men, where it's a bit obtuse. You don't know really what's going on. And you can kind of put your own spin on it. You can put your own theories together. It allows you to communicate with your peers about the stories and and it gets you even more into it, which is a good thing. But at the same time, the way Hickman writes, there can be moments where you're like, does he even know what he's doing? Like, does he even have a plan? (laughs) Because it's so strange. You know what I mean? Yeah, And I could see him bringing that to these X-Men series. Mm -hmm. I think you're very right in that the X-Men community is like the largest and most vocal comics community 
I've ever seen online. Sure. Um, and maybe the maybe the pitch is to just be like some they'll all be able to get something out of this. In our last bit of news, it's gonna be a bit of a grab bag because we have our faithful Connor Christensen at WonderCon this weekend in Anaheim, and he is covering WonderCon for us, and he's written quite a few news blips from the con, a lot of which... He's a machine. He is a machine. He's tweeting. He's writing. I mean, I don't even know if he has time to eat. Poor poor soul. <laughs> Connor, if you're listening, I hope you can get a hamburger. <laughs> but WonderCon is uh, interesting to me in that Marvel's barely there. I don't even think they have a booth. They're, they're not revealing anything. Uh, I think they did all that at EC, uh, ECC, ECCC and EC, uh, C2E2 in the last couple of weeks. So maybe they don't need to have a presence. So a lot of the news, though, is from DC and also uh, other publishers like Valiant and um, Boom in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Significantly less image in Dark Horse, it seems like. But it does some. make sense. DC, yeah. It does make sense that DC's there because happy birthday, Batman. <laughs> or in this case, Detective Comics. <laughs> uh, this was the week that Detective Comics started 80 years ago. Actually, I, I was uh, driving uh, yesterday and NPR had a story on Batman. And I was like, NPR? Batman? Wow. What a job. Anywho, uh, some news came out. Uh, for instance, uh, Greg Pak's Ronin Island is getting a full series order from Boom, which is great news. Very cool first issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Only one issue's come out, uh, but that's all it took for them to pick up the whole series. Uh, Cena Grace is going to be co-writing Go-Go Power Rangers at Boom as well. Excited for that, Forrest? <laughs> uh, I have a coworker that'll be very excited for it. He's actually the leader of a uh, local Power Rangers cosplay group. Whoa, I didn't yeah. know those existed. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, no, they're super cool. Yeah. I was really into Power Rangers uh, when I was in fifth grade, but I got made fun of for it. I think it's probably come back around. You got someone <laughs> who's cool seeing Grace writing it, so. Yeah, that's yeah. true. One of the biggest bits of news that came out really was the fact that uh, Greg Capullo has redesigned the Detective Comics logo which yes. has a much more logo-y feel the one before was more just text and now the text sort of lives inside the batman symbol yeah it's very cool it's very batman 60s um it's it's much more evocative it's much more it's honestly a little bit more playful um mm-hmm. and it feels very appropriate for an anniversary like this has a nice split between blue and yellow too which i like mm-hmm. scott snyder and greg capullo revealed a few pages from their upcoming uh, Batman: The Last Night on Earth, supposedly their last Batman story together. Someone on Twitter gave them actually made out of metal visors from really? the Batman Who Laughs. That's cool. Um, and Greg Capullo took a picture holding his fucking sunglasses over the visor. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to tweet at Scott and be like, "Have you ever seen Greg's eyes?" <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Possibly not. Uh, DC Universe is going to be expanding their comics library to 20,000, which is not surprising. Uh, Marvel Unlimited is a similar sort of service. Obviously, they don't have the whole TV component, but they have their own online uh, unlimited comic reading experience. Yeah, and DC just bid on Comixology, and I bet they're already seeing a return on that. Um, And they would probably like to have a little bit more ownership and control. For sure, yeah. That way, and I wonder too. I've never really. I've dabbled a little bit in Marvel Unlimited, but is it is that is does that allow the publisher to sort of move the narrative, so to speak, so that their homepage has stories that are align with their current ones? They create lists. Yeah, uh-huh. um, they can do that. Actually, um, sometimes for this weekend, Marvel they'll create like a 
this happened in Marvel on this day. Like, Iron Fist's first issue came out, but also 10 right. years later, Luke Cage's did, or Doctor Strange fought this guy. Um, mm-hmm. And they'll link that all for their podcast over there um, to the issues in Marvel Unlimited. So I would imagine DC has folks that do the same stuff. Yeah, or they should sense. start now that they're going to have the collection online. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then in the last bit, uh, Valiant Entertainment has revealed a couple series coming up with some big names, uh, like Vida Ayala, who will be doing Livewire with Kano, who's a fantastic artist, and she's a fantastic writer. Um, Tim Seeley and Dan Amnett are going to be doing a Bloodshot series. I believe they're kind of rebooting Bloodshot, mm. if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Rebooting in that he's going back to how he used to be. For the longest time, it's been like f- stories in the future and stuff. I really like Valiant. I just don't have the time to read it. Uh, lately which is an excuse but they've had some fantastic runs uh they absolutely have exo manowar was awesome yeah. when oh, it yeah. restarted oh, yeah. two years ago um mm-hmm. it was really really great um actually teeny howard is writing one right now called the forgotten queen that i like quite a bit so WonderCon, uh it's a wrap today on sunday and a pretty good amount of news oh i'm, I'm excited uh, the big news for me was that the swamp thing tv show starts on may 31st Ah, yes. yes. True, true, true. Very excited for that. And it's going to be horror. Yeah. As, <laughs> As it should, it should be. be. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx, you <Twinsies>. <laughs> Okay, guys, in our next bit of, uh, of the show, in our next segment, uh, we're going to be talking about our favorite books from last week. And to kick off this segment, we always talk about comicbookroundup.com and how other books have rated. Like, what are the top books that all the reviewers are giving the biggest scores? Biggest scores? Highest scores. Bigly and. <laughs> the biggest, yeah. Most Bigly. best score. Bigly. Uh, what is that word? Um, embiggen. Embiggen <laughs> the scores. Embiggen the scores. <laughs> the second highest rated book was Wasted Space number eight with a 9.5. And you know what? I'm going to give you the first highest rated book, which is Friendo number five with a 9.8. And that's by Alex Pacnadel and Martin Simmons. And Wasted Space is by Michael Morecci and Hayden Sherman. Yeah. Um, so I have not read either of them. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Michael Marecki. Um, he's written some cool Star Wars stuff. He wrote some really fantastic, uh, sci-fi books called Roche Limit and a, um, cool kind of horror political one called Burning Fields, all of which I was very into. So I will probably pick up Wasted Space when it's done. Um, the big takeaway here for me though, was that both of the top rated books from Comic Book Roundup this week are from Vault Comics. So normally we talk about Marvel, we talk about DC, we talk about Dark Horse, we talk about Image, maybe we talk about Valiant. Um, and that's, that's true of you and I on the show. I think that's also true of comic fans in general. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're talking about indie comics, they're usually talking about Image, Dark Horse, Valiant, maybe IDW, and maybe Black Mask. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at these other incredibly strong powerhouses of indie comics like Aftershock and um, Vault Comics like this. These folks are putting out the highest rated comics of the week. Two of the highest rated comics of the week in this case, (laughs) consistently. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, you know, we pulled ones that have more than three reviews. I think actually in this case, both of these had more than seven reviews. Wow. So um, it's they're critical darlings, but they're also fan darlings for the folks that are reading them. And I think it's just so interesting that it really does feel like um, a bit of a golden nature comics right now. 
Oh my god, yes. Yeah. There, there's, it's actually hard to keep up. There's so many good comics. Not only the ones that people tell you to read, but the ones that, you know, it's just inherently you look at it and you're like, I need to read this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's only it's only going to get harder because more and more <laughs> publishers seem to be coming up with their own uh, their own take on like how to run a company, how to run a comic book company and allow writers and artists to, to produce books that they want to tell that they own too the the stories that they own. Yeah, which is so great. You know, I think a lot of the time we think of Marvel and DC as being kind of like the patron saints mm. or like the or even literally patrons in the classical art sense where they're paying for creators to to make art for them, for mm-hmm. us. But um these these smaller publishers have the ability to just give creators the the tools to disseminate their own stories so quickly and so effectively and so well. Um, and that's really exciting. I love it very much. And I think it's so important. And I would say as a reader, if you're ever looking for something that's not the spidered man or the man of bats, um, who you're very familiar with, or even the super, <laughs> the super of men, check out comic book roundup and look at the books that are highest rated. Cause you will find that these books are incredibly highly rated by folks like Dave and I, um, by folks like our colleagues at AOPT comics or at, comicbook.com or at CBR or at Newsarama who read hundreds of comic books every week. I read hundreds of comic books every month. And mm-hmm. you'll you'll be able to see these reviews and read little blurbs of every reviewer's thoughts on it. Um, you'll be able to click through the full re- to the full review as well. Um, and I just think it's a great channel to find books like this. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it allows you to see how much is coming out too. And then to ask your stores to, to carry them if you can. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 Some of these books really do need more, um, more sales, more presence just to keep going. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta vote with your wallet. So Forrest, if you were to vote with your wallet, what would be your second favorite book of last week? My second favorite book of last week would be Peter Cannon, Thunderbolt Number 3, written by Kieran Gillen with art by Casper Weigengard. I'm going to eat crow a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did, to my defense, to my point, a little bit say that last week this was the book that I was most excited for. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's a little bit because I didn't um, know where it could possibly be going after the first two issues. Mm -hmm. And I like the direction that it headed in. I, you know, I talked a little bit of shit about the first two issues and I thought they were a little pretentious and a little smug, a little looking at you and saying, <laughs> do you get that this is a comic about comics? <laughs> what is that voice? Uh, Who is that? Is that Dr. Evil? <laughs> I don't know what that voice is. It's the smug man that lives inside me, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, okay. But it's the art critic voice. Nice. Um, nice. But this issue kind of transcends that a little bit um, to the point that the villain literally says, I have transcended your genre, mm-hmm. which really stuck with me. I was like, yeah. oh, shit. You know, when you take something that's meta contextual or meta narrative based, you can do it in a winking way to the audience, which I thought the first two issues leaned a little too hard into. It was a little too like this is about form. It's about panels. It's about how comic characters find themselves trapped in a narrative and then find the solution by confronting their inner demons and, oh, it's heroism and stuff. But to find a character that understands that all and then literally make it part of the story Mm -hmm. 
rather than a conversation between the writer and the reader to make it part of the narrative is rarely done this well. Um, and there's a little cliffhanger at the end of the um, issue here where they, they go into yet another genre. Um, and I was, I was really blown away by it. I was really excited. Um, so I, I, I eat crow <laughs> and I say that I like it now. I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I, I really like this series. And uh, the third issue, it starts to really expand things. Do we know how long it'll be? I don't. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I imagine there's a finite a number of issues that they've planned. Yeah. Um, and again, a shout out to our reviewer over at AAPTComics.com, Ritesh Babu, who writes a um, short novel's worth of a, rev- of a review for each of these issues. Mm-hmm. The comics literacy that Ritesh has, the history um, oh, yeah. and the understanding of all the things that Kieran is writing into these comics, these issues, and um, being able to point to previous issues of Watchmen or The Authority or Justice League or anything like that and then also connect it to Peter Cannon makes me feel like I haven't read the Peter Cannon issue <laughs> that I just read. But yeah. um, it also really increases what you're getting out of it. Um, your mileage may vary still, I think. I think you may end up finding this a little pretentious. Um, but I... I'm enjoying being challenged by it, um, and and <laughs> definitely go check out Ritesh's reviews if you if you want some help with that. I know Gillen is doing like a, a commentary for each issue, but at the same time Ritesh's as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he he adds uh, another layer to it uh, and gives you more perspective on why it's good and what's going on. Yeah, absolutely, definitely definitely recommended. You know what I recommend for my second pick? What? <laughs> tell me, Star, tell me now. Star Wars. You ever heard of it? Uh, Star Wars Vader Dark Visions number two by Dennis Hopeless Hallam uh, and Brian Level, the artist mm. is Brian Level. And uh, this is a series that's basically one shots. Each issue is a one shot, a different story, uh, exploring Darth Vader in a different light, uh, usually from a different perspective. Actually, each issue ha- is from a different perspective. So the first issue was about a little boy who witnesses Darth Vader basically take on a kaiju, a monster as big as a skyscraper. And it's cool to see from a child's perspective how Darth Vader is basically capable of fighting anything. (laughs) It is a little over the top how he can take on a giant monster. In this next issue, it's from the perspective of a general uh, who mans a Star Destroyer. Mm, And it opens with him uh, basically... He he completes a mission but doesn't complete the mission because he doesn't actually capture the rebel that they're after. But he reports that he did. And then he finds out Darth Vader is personally going to come and, uh, and see how he, and, and, and want to interrogate this rebel that he does not actually have imprisoned. And he, and this is not really a big spoiler because it is the beginning of the book. The general basically remembers the one time he encountered Darth Vader, he killed all of his peers in a boardroom because they failed him. And he was just like walking in. He, it wasn't his mission. So he, he got laid off and Darth Vader was like, don't you ever fucking, uh, disappoint me so he's recalling that and realizing he's so screwed and the whole issue is him trying to chase down this rebel and basically like sacrifice his entire ship his people because he doesn't want darth vader to walk into a room and go where's the rebel and him to say uh i'm sorry i lied so yeah it it really it captures the fear of darth vader when he's not even in the room really well Mm, that's really cool yeah I, Vader is often elevated to a mythological yeah, place yeah. in Star Wars, <laughs> but um, stories like this that explain why are really cool. Definitely. Yeah, and the art is really good. 
over I mean I reviewed it over at aptcomics.com you can see my uh my more verbose explanation of why it's good but that's my second pick what's your uh what's your first pick Forrest my first pick is Age of X-Men um Extremist number two written by Leah Williams with art by George's Jaunty the first Age of X-Men Extremist issue was unpopular um, both amongst our staff and um, I think in general. It was a little slow. It was a little confusing. It was a little too funny for the hmm. story it was trying to tell, I think. Um, I I liked it, but it didn't necessarily click. And um, you can actually go over to Twitter and see Leah Williams. I believe her at over there is My Monster is Chic and um, see her explain kind of that she also thinks the first issue in hindsight is a bit of a stumble. This second issue is not a stumble at all. It is the strongest issue that has come out of the Age of X-Men series since the um, Age of X-Men Alpha issue came out. It is a fantastically complex, layered, nuanced story about the differences between the evil that you can see and that you know and the evil that doesn't think that it's evil. The scariest kind. The scariest kind, absolutely. The the evil that thinks that it's sympathetic or even, at worst, empathetic. Um, that it's a, a, an evil that's trying to make you comfortable hmm. in its clutches. Um, in the sense that the uh, Department X, the, the comic, that the team that this comic follows, are trying to make a prisoner that they're quite visibly torturing, literally torturing comfortable who's pregnant who's pregnant um (laughs) and they're you know she's explaining to them like this is torture you are calling me a retrograde you are treating me like garbage this is torture you don't think that this is torture and one character is really conflicted about well i didn't know that this is how you were being treated right i i wouldn't have let you be treated this way we would have gotten you a bed we would have gotten you water and she said, she says, but you didn't even ask. You were happy to have it be out of sight, out of mind. It's an issue for you now that you've seen it. Mm-hmm. But you would have been just as happy to ignore it. That is such a strong statement. And it is such a strong rebuke of the kind of utopia that Age of X-Man presents. Um, to also have a story happening parallel in this issue where Betsy Braddock and Blob are dealing with their issues of love and with their issues of understanding the human experience and the little things that seep through this utopia, um, the memories and the feelings and stuff that are forbidden, but finding that they don't want to forget them, even though it's their job to literally make them go away for other people. Mm-hmm. How do you is, live with yourself if you yeah, feel that way? right. It's very well done. And I, I cannot express how deeply it affected me, um, surprisingly so, for what it is. Um, I, I really love that Leah Williams has assembled a book focused around characters who are um, different than the norm. Obviously, all the X-Men are, but all of these characters are um, queer or are um, you know visibly different. Um, Blob obviously has his own body issues body shaming issues. The name is not even ideal for that character going on. Mm-mm. So um, it's it's really giving them a lot of humanity. It's really giving them a lot of room to grow and express themselves. And it's exploring a really interesting 
angle about um, a perfect utopia taking away individuality, um, which is obviously the point of Age of X-Men in a larger sense, but it's done very well here. With nice little touches like their office, their desks are arranged in a literal swastika. So <laughs> I didn't catch that, really? Yeah, there's, there's, wow. their desks are not, it's not super obvious, but I, you'll, you'll see it if you flip through there. So there's nice little touches like that, um, and obviously how Iceman is dressed. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very well done. I like it quite a bit. It, it was a complete 180 from the first issue. I think, uh, I mean, a lot of what you just described reminds me of what's going on in America where people are being, uh, immigrants or illegal immigrants are being jailed in inhumane uh, prison cells under bridges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like we live we live in a, a dystopian sci-fi future already. Right. And to, to, the, to that point, I think a lot of people are happy to not see it unless it's put right before their very eyes. Yep. Which is the point of this issue, and it's done so well. <laughs> um, so My pick is Flash number 67 by Joshua Williamson and Scott Collins. Flash. It- uh, wrong one. <laughs> wrong one, yeah. It's, um, it's the start of a new arc. Uh, Flash has been dealing with some interesting things. Uh, obviously, the Speed Force is what powers him, but there are other forces running amok. And this issue is not about those, but I think maybe it is at the end of the day, but we're not so sure yet. This is a really solid first issue in an arc in that it perfectly recaps where Flash is, what's going on with him, and where he's coming from, and then drops you into a Twilight Zone-like premise or story where he is he, he's, he's just apprehended a criminal, brings him to a prison at his, in his hometown, and... Everyone has a smile on their face in the prison. All the prisoners and all the guards, everybody, even people he knows that should not ever be smiling are smiling. And it really creeps him out. Mm -hmm. And it'll creep you out, too, because it's like, what? Why is everyone so happy? And as the story unfolds, Flash is pretty sure something weird is going on. And later on, he's talking to a detective who begins to, like, slam their head against a desk smiling yeah that would do it (laughs) and he's like what the hell so flash is potentially one of the best detectives in the dc universe obviously batman is up there too there's some there's some stories where they literally fight about that yeah right just recently actually in uh a crossover book with batman and flash joshua williamson wrote a bit about how they actually might not be uh, as close maybe flash is a little better and <laughs> for a few different reasons although Certainly also, faster <laughs> that's true flash is also i mean joshua williams has been writing flash for over two years now now so of course he has his uh, darling in the character but anyway i gave this book a 10 out of 10 at aptcomics.com you can read my full Ooh. review yeah i don't give out 10s very often maybe one a month maybe hot <laughs> And I think just as a first issue in an arc, it, is, it just hit all the marks. It has the action. It has interesting twists. It has good character development. It just makes you want to keep reading. And yeah, so I, I highly recommend that you start reading and then keep reading like I will with the rest of this uh, story arc. Yeah, I'm interested. I like Flash. Yeah, he, he's a very fascinating character, especially when you look at his history. It's, it, at times, it's convoluted. At times, it's very complex. And at the same time, he's very simple in that he's a detective who can run fast. <laughs> <laughs> right out the gate, when you said when you started to say he's very fascinating, I thought you were just going to say, "Yeah, he's very fast." He's very fascinating. <laughs> yeah, he's very fast, and also he's fast. That too. 
All right, guys. Uh, that's it for our Top Books of Last Week segment. Next up is a segment we've done only once, but not in the way we're about to do it. Mm. It's Obscure Character Bio. This is where we talk about a character that you may not know about, but is actually pertinent in the comics today. And it may have creeped up on us. So in this segment, I I know the character we're going to talk about, but Forrest doesn't. And I'm going to just let loose a few details about the character and see if you can guess who it is. Right. Are you game for this, Forrest? Yes, I need to flex first. <laughs> or stretch. I need to flex. <laughs> oh my God, this um, guy is so swole. Yeah. All right, I beefed up. Let's do it. Now, I picked a Marvel character because I know, you know, you are probably a little bit more familiar with what's going on in Marvel right now. True. The whole setup of this has made me feel like I'm taking a lie detector test. Yeah, that's true. You, are you... You're like, you're more familiar with the Marvel universe? I was like, <laughs> true. <laughs> Make sure the uh, the clamps are not on the nipples, though, because we won't get a good reading. Uh, yeah. They'll all come across as false. That would make me very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, basically, uh, if you could tell me the character's name. Uh-huh. Uh, as soon as you get it, I'll let you know uh, if you're right or not. But And you can make, make any guesses you want. So I'm going to start with this bit of news, uh, this okay. bit of uh, fact. This character was first created in 1986. And his first... Oh, I already, I already said this, the gender. His first <laughs> okay. appearance was in West Coast Avengers number four. Oh. Okay. Okay. And this, this character was in a Marvel book this week. Okay. Should I keep going? Yeah. He has he had uh, he has a character that transformed into a living abode of demons. Huh. Yeah. It's a very weird character. It's a villain. That's right. Yeah, you're it's right. A it's a it's, a, it's okay. a villain. This character was once on the Hellfire Club. Oh. First appeared in West Coast Adventures. Number four in 1986. Do not Google. That is illegal. Oh, yeah. No I, no, I don't want to. He was created by Steve Englehart and Al Mil- Milgram. I don't know if that helps. <laughs> it does not. <laughs> he, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run through some Living of his powers. Living abode of demons, villain, yes. Hellfire yep. Club, West Coast mm-hmm. Avengers. Mm-hmm. He's a spooky boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a grim, spooky man. Mm-hmm. Okay. He, he can teleport. He can teleport. Energy blasts. He has energy blasts. Okay. All right. All right. All right. We're going gonna, we're gonna to start to give away some, some of the big ones now. He has the ability to turn his limbs into demons. Master Pandemonium. Oh, my God. The guy. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us where he appeared this week? Uh, Superior Spider-Man number four. That's correct. Yeah. I, uh, I was reading Superior Spider-Man number four this week, and I was like, who the hell is this character? So I Googled him. And the first thing that came up was his ability to turn his limbs into demons. Yeah. How freaking weird is yeah, that? Yeah, he comes out of a portal with, like, gremlin arms. It's really <laughs> fucking cool. I was like, that's awesome. I know who he is, mm-hmm. but I thought that you were talking about Azazel or Mephisto. Uh, uh-huh. Um, and I thought you were just leading with – I was like, West Coast Avengers, really? Yeah, that seems like a random book for yeah. this character to appear in for the first time. But, yeah, he was uh, – he was given these powers by Mephisto. Okay. Mephisto? So. Oh, you know what I should have started with? His real name's Martin Preston, and he's from Vermont, Rutland, which would have totally given it away. (laughs) (laughs) He was originally an actor who lost his arm uh, in a car crash. That should have been the last clue you gave me. That would have locked it. I would have been like, oh, I know who it is. 
I like how he was originally an actor. That makes him kind of like, it gives him a reason to be overly dramatic. But he lost his arm in a car crash and made a pact with Mephisto to regain his limb. That is interesting. This guy is kind of sad. He didn't want to live without a limb, so he made a deal with the devil. That's that's a lot. (laughs) Mephisto instead took the man's other three limbs then replace them with demonic grafts. It doesn't say which limbs, folks. He took the other three? He yeah, didn't so, give him back the one that he... Ne- oh, my God, Mephisto. He's facing off against super, Superior Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, man. Christmas Gage is picking some cool villains yes. for that book. Yeah, so the first the, villain was a cosmic power cosmic... Terax uh, the um, guy. Who's, <laughs> Terax the guy. Whose title I can't remember. Terax, though, he's got a cool space axe. He does. Terax the Tamer. Who is way more overpowered than Superior Spider-Man should be able to take on. Yeah. Uh, and now he's facing off against a, a, a demonic villain who clearly is not going to be playing by the scientific rules of Superior Spider-Man's forte. All right, moving on, guys. We've talked enough about this, okay? All right, calm down. We're moving on. It's all right. I, I'm, I'm Next pretty up. hot and bothered thinking about <laughs> Demon Beepus. I want to know, like, you, that's a pretty good uh, party trick, I have to say. <laughs> to just pull up. Like, pull a demon out of your neck or whatever? Like, yeah. phew, that's weird. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about the uh, uh, the book that we're most looking forward to out next week. On April 3rd, New Comic Book Day. What is the book that you can't wait to read, Forrest? Redlands number 12, written by Jordi Belair, with art by Jordi Belair and Vanessa R. Del Rey. Redlands, um, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's actually been almost four four or five episodes ago now, um, a fantastic Southern horror gothic story about um, sisterhood and about crime and about the evil that men do quite literally and demons and sorrow and just any other number of interesting nuanced things and something and presented in a way that Jordi Belair and Vanessa R. Del Rey and Clayton Cowles, the um, designer for the book, give enough credence to, that they give enough nuance to. Um, and I'm very excited to see where this is going. It's not a book that necessarily makes me happy to read. It's very <laughs> yeah. dark. There's some pain in there. Um, but if you give it enough time and you take, you set a little bit of a, a sad, dark time <laughs> to, to read it, um, it's very worthwhile. And I, I like it quite a bit. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, actually. I'm surprised that it's only 12 issues in because it, it feels like I have... I'm so personally invested in the story mm-hmm. um, that it feels like it's been going forever. Yeah. 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 It feels, it, it's very unique in its way. It's telling this horror story as well. Yeah, absolutely. I've been saying, I've reviewed a bunch of the issues, what feels like a year ago or two. <laughs> and uh, I just every issue I was like, this needs to be a TV show. Yeah. Like, this would be a solid absolutely. TV show. Mm-hmm. It's very good. M- my most anticipated book out uh, next week is an Age of X-Men book. Uh, it's called Prisoner X, and it's the second issue by Vida Ayala and Jermaine Peralta. I think that this is my favorite tie-in to the Age of X-Men universe. The first issue focused on Bishop going to this prison he didn't really know about and discovering that uh, he's got a connection to another life that he didn't know he had which a lot of characters are going through right now but these characters are imprisoned because they are criminals of love (laughs) they (laughs) fell in love or were caught falling in love and now they are in jail 
Bishop is a particularly interesting one, though, because he's basically like he was the love police, and now the love policeman is in prison with the people he locked Holy up. Holy shit! We need you need to write an '80s album yesterday. <laughs> I do. Love why? police, lock down the love policeman. <laughs> hey, that'd be pretty good. Actually. I'm into it. Yeah. I just I'm really interested in how. Uh, Vita is writing Honey Badger. Like, she's really good in this, I think. The character's really strong. I like how she's sort of um, kind of a jerk. She's a bully. But also, yeah. yeah, basically, yeah. And obviously, Beast is a huge uh, character in this book, too. I don't know. It's just, it's really, it's really well done how it's capturing Bishop's point of view and how he's confused and maybe even scared and wants to figure out what's going on. And other characters do, too, but they're all in this prison and can't necessarily get out. Unless they have a prison uprising, which the cover seems to suggest we might be getting. So yeah, that's out next week, and that's my uh, most anticipated book. Sick. Next up, (laughs) every week we do Judging by the Cover Junior, which is our way of picking fantastic cover art that sells the book for us, even if we're not reading it. And it's called Judging by the Cover Junior because... Eric Klein is the column uh, head of a column called Judging by the Cover, which we have out every Monday. Check it out, guys. It's really cool. It's where uh, Eric and another staff member pick their favorite cover art. And, you know, cover art, it's going to be tricky to pick this next week, isn't it? Because War of the Realms has something like 500 variant covers. (laughs) That's a conservative estimate. (laughs) I was looking through them. I did not pick a War of the Realms uh, cover, variant cover, in part because... I'm not super jazzed about this event. I'm sorry. I, I have to admit it. I don't know. But Forrest, just get me out of this awkward situation. <laughs> what's your What's your favorite cover of next week? Cosmic Ghost Rider Destroys Marvel History Number 2 with cover illustration by Marcos Martin. This is awesome. a really cool, super lively, retro-flavored um, cover. Uh, it's got Cosmic Ghost Rider whipping his chains all around um, at Spidey. Um, there's a couple of different fonts going on here. I know people absolutely hated those uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider Destroys Marvel History teasers where they slapped yep. together a bunch of different fonts. This is yep. like the right way to do that. Um, it's got like a cool Cosmic Ghost Rider title font. It destroys is like this crumbling concrete slapped across Spider-Man's body. And the Marvel History is its own font as well. Um, there's a lot of fluidity and action to this, and the colors are very um, flat. There's like a, a very flat blue, very flat red, purple, and yellow um, with Cosmic Ghost Rider's chains going all across um, Spidey dodging through them. And, uh, you know, Cosmic Ghost Rider's design in general is really cool. Um, to see it, I think it, it gives itself to this style, this 80s or even 70s um, retro, hyper, colorful, hyper, active, fluid style very well. And to see it uh, put up against Spidey, who also does really well in that style, um, is is really well done. So I'm very excited about it. The other issue um, this week, the other cover for this issue this week is also a Spidey one. Um, I haven't been reading this, so I think that each issue focuses on Cosmic Ghost Rider going around and destroying individual characters' most famous moments in Marvel history. That's correct. Um, and the other issue is uh, his, uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider picking up Spider-Man's suit from the garbage can, that famous <laughs> that famous scene, and, and saying, uh, geez, does he ever wash this? Mm-hmm. Or something like that. So 
really really fun. I thought that one was a little bit too Deadpool-y for my taste. Um, this one is fantastic. Marcos Martin is a is like a he's one of the best. Yeah, I think. Yeah, this is cool. His this 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 cover in particular is, is a bit chaotic, uh, especially when you're talking Marcos Martin, who's usually very clean. He's done some amazing Daredevil and Spider-Man covers. Mm-hmm. But I'm with you. Like it's 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 an exciting cover. It's really well well yeah, done. Yeah, and I think that's largely because I think Cosmic Ghost Rider, like I was saying, lends himself to being this kind of hyper heavy metal, super active character. Um, For sure, it's cool to see Martin do something like that. And it's a fun comedy book too. So that 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 jives well. True. My favorite cover uh, out next week is the Dreaming Number Eight by Tiffany Terrell, and this is a cover we've actually seen. Uh, it was used to help promote the DC Vertigo uh, new line of books. It was one of the covers revealed amongst all the other covers to help sell the line. It's got Sandman on the cover and the crow uh, with this bright light coming out of the crow's mouth. The crow is like overlaid over Sandman's face. So you can see the crow is sort of looking off to the side. So you see where his eye should be is the crow's eye. And then where his other eye should be is the crow's mouth where there's like, this bright light peeking through. And then there are these like flower petals that are like fluttering down on Sandman. And there's these big crow wings sort of enveloping the cover as well. There's a lot going on, but at the same time, it's very simple and clean and beautiful. It's obviously painted and it imbues a sense of uh, magic like, like, like a dream might. So I know for a fact the book itself, the story within, isn't about Sandman. So it's a bit misleading, but what's new when it comes to comic books? Covers always seem to tell a story that's not inside the book. <laughs> so that's just common. But yeah, this cover is really beautiful. And uh, if you go to AIPTcomics.com and go to this podcast post, you can see both covers. They'll be in that post. True. Right, Forrest? <laughs> I'm, I'm going for like a soundboard thing. I like it. I think, yes. I think, wah, wah, I think wah, after wah. this, we should just record me doing a bunch of stuff. And we just slap it in. And then AIPTcomics.com. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Judging by like the cover, Junior. <laughs> nice. Wow, wow, nice. Wow, wow. Can we workshop that one? <laughs> <laughs> we can. All right, guys. We have one more segment, and it is an important one because it's about an important book. And that is Detective Comics number 1000. In this segment, we're just going to talk about the book. Uh, we're going to talk about our thoughts on it. I actually reviewed it for AIPTcomics.com, but I have more to say, of course. I, I can't stop talking about it. And uh, we're going to just talk about the book and uh, maybe even talk about Zack Snyder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who made some controversial statements about Batman. Uh, <laughs> good timing, Zack. I mean, yeah, thanks, Zack. Batman's 80th birthday, and he goes out and says, what does he say? Batman kills. Get over it. <laughs> grow, grow the fuck up or get the fuck over oh, it. Batman definitely man. kills people. Although in the show notes, I wrote, and the controversial statement controversial Zack Snyder statement that he definitely kills people, which makes mm-hmm. it seem like Zack Snyder came out on stage and said, I kill people. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> which is well, based not the case, based on the reactions of some people. I mean, he practically did. Very true. That. that is how people reacted. Um, man, that's, that's the thing I could talk the most about here. I do want to talk mm-hmm. about the man of bats, but Zack Snyder. Okay. Okay, okay. When you hire a director, you hire them to make a movie in their vision. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you hire David Lynch to make a David Lynch movie. You hire Wes Anderson to make a Wes Anderson movie. You, you saw Watchmen. 
Mm-hmm. You all saw Watchmen. You saw any other. You saw Man of Steel. You saw the movies he made. Does it truly surprise you that he said this? And nope. why? Right? It doesn't. I I think I brought this up a couple of weeks ago. I read a really great tweet, actually, um, where someone said, any contribution to the stories of these characters, these huge franchise characters, mostly Marvel and DC, is like a contribution to a myth about that character. They're no one person's creation. Zack Snyder's got his own take on it. He's not even in charge anymore, guys. That's true. (laughs) Like, yeah, he probably wasn't right. For the role. I agree. (laughs) Watchmen sucks. What's fascinating is people have come out and been like, you're wrong. And he's just like, nope, I'm not. Go away. And it's like, I don't think you can like debate this dude. Like Batman shouldn't be blowing bad guys up with rockets like he did in uh, Batman vs. Superman. Sure, sure. But again, like I want someone to make a movie that thinks that thing that strongly, I guess. I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, you want a strong opinion. You want a strong focus in a film. That's why everyone, (laughs) you know, that's why everyone wanted to see James's guns guardians of the galaxies three. Yeah. Yeah. Because they like his vision for it. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't like Zack Snyder's. Yeah. He's going to say stuff you don't like. What's funny is there's absolutely no killing in detective comics 1000, but I'm surprised. Oh wait, no, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) The correct Batman stance. Right. Yes. The objectively correct Batman stance. What is your two-second review of Detective Comics 1000, if I were to get it from you? Warren Ellis, Becky Cloonan, good. (laughs) Uh, That was my favorite story. It's called The Batman's Design in Detective Comics number 1000. Um, By far my favorite. Those creators are amazing. Those creators together are fantastic. Also, just really like seeing um, an effort given to the Batverse at large, his menagerie of villains, his um, whole pantheon of emotional (laughs) malaise and vulnerability across all these stories, and Alfred and Catwoman and all the Robins and stuff too. It's interesting. It's interesting. It's an experiment, I think. Um, The book itself? Yeah, it feels much more like an experiment than it does a celebration. Hmm. That, Interesting. That fair? Yeah, I mean, a lot of these stories, uh, I mean, they're like Elseworld stories. They're not really in the universe. Yeah. Uh, because they are taking place way too far in the future or because it's taking liberties with characters um, to sort of, I don't know, tell, tell their little story. I, I, I would say that each creator is celebrating the character in their story. Mm-hmm. But you're right in that it's way more experimental than I anticipated. Yep. Uh, my favorite was uh, Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev's I Know, which is a Penguin story, which actually, if you go to dccomics.com, you can read that, that story in its entirety online. Um, but this one t- takes place far in the future, and Penguin and Bruce Wayne are having a conversation. And <laughs> obviously, this isn't in canon. We're never going to see Bruce Wayne this old. He's like 80 or something. And But Maleev draws Penguin like he like he looks in... Batman Returns with um, Danny DeVito playing Penguin, yeah. which is pretty cool. The Tim Burton and, top hat. Yep, and there are even pen- like the first uh, one of the first du- actually the first double page spread is Batman swooping down on Penguin and all the all of his like army of penguins with the rockets on their backs. It's like it's straight from the movie. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
the art really sells that for me. But yeah, you're right. Like, ultimately, this is supposed to be like Action Comics 1000 was definitely a celebration of Superman. Absolutely. And yeah. And this is a celebration in a, in a sense in that I don't know. You get to experience the character from all these different perspectives, but some of them are so off of what Batman is. Not so off like Zack Snyder is off. But like, for instance, Jeff Johns and Kelly Jones did a story where Batman has a daughter with Catwoman, has a bat dog. The and bat all dog on that rooftop. died in injustice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot in that story. And it it's definitely, it's so off of what Batman is that it doesn't feel like Batman. It feels like they're Batman. I don't know. It's, it's pretty cool that, that uh, DC's done this with Superman and Batman now. I'm really curious... And I said this in my review, I think, when uh, Spider-Man gets to a thousand, I wonder what Marvel will do. Are they going to do something similar where it's a $10 book with 10 different stories from all of these really great artists and writers? Probably, maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's a cool way to sell a book because, you know, oh, I love this creator. I'm going to read this book, you know? Yep. It it does feel like every of these creators is contributing to the legacy of Batman. Which I like very much. Mm-hmm. Um, further, further, and they, and because they were chosen because they've contributed to the legacy of Batman in the past, but right. to continue doing so is a is a great testament to the legacy of the character and the monument of the character and the universe itself. Right, um, and you can right, you know you can see that model working for Spidey too. Yeah, the first story is by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, and they offer a new a new thing to the character and a new thing to the mythos. And we're a thousand issues into this and we're still adding. I mean, it just shows you it's timeless. I mean, we're going to get to Batman 5,000 if the world can sustain itself for that long. I'm curious. And I I do want to talk about this a little bit. What was your first Batman thing? What, what was the first thing where you were like, Batman is cool. I like Batman. Oh, wow. Well, I was a child of the 80s, so it probably was Tim Burton's Batman. Okay, yeah. Because I wasn't reading comics until I was 11, but that movie came out when I was six or seven. So I had not, I was too young for comics, but I I, I remember my parents taking me to the drive-in, actually. <laughs> Drive-ins are where people drive up to a giant screen and watch <laughs> a movie outside, if you don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I remember being scared of the Joker, but the like the heroic element of of bruce wayne and michael keaton as bruce wayne was like i don't know it was really cool and yeah so that would be the first time i really got into batman Mm -hmm. how about you um mine is batman beyond the cartoon yeah i had absolutely been exposed to batman before that obviously um but batman beyond was like what i sat down and i watched and i was like i like this character Mm mm-hmm um, and I think, and I expected this, that speaks very truly to the big, the stories that we picked out of this issue. Oh, interesting. You picked the Burton-esque one, and I uh-huh. picked the one that is hyper-stylized. Oh, uh, yeah. like Bat- More like a cartoon. Like Batman yeah. Beyond is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that that is what I like the most about Batman. Filtered through all these different lenses... The character is, in essence, the same. Right. The core of the character. And that's also why Into the Spider-Verse worked. That's why characters Good. like this last that long. Yeah, for sure. 
and uh, Zack Snyder can eat a bag of bat dicks. <laughs> bat away. Yeah, I, I don't know who he's trying to convince because it's it's definitely not it seems the like comic community. Himself a little. Oh, maybe. Although yeah. he seems equally sure, which is what you would want, and also unsure. So I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like we both liked uh, Detective Comics 1000. I did. And yeah. I think we both agree Batman is here to stay. <laughs> I think he's. I think he's going to be around. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. Batman will not go away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do one more segment, and this is our off-topic suggestion segment. It's a new segment, and we are going to segue to Forrest, who will yeah. take it away. So uh, just a quick suggestion for y'all, and uh, you in particular, Dave, because I know you like Twin Peaks. Um, mm-hmm. I know you like David Lynch in general, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been listening to an um, album called Pony, by Sub Pop's newest artist, Orville Peck. He is a strange cowboy man, <laughs> a strange countryman. He uh, wears a, a, a black cowboy hat, usually, a um, bandito mask, and he's got these long strings of, like, silk or rope that cover his face. Um, so I, I really love his aesthetic. He's got a bunch of tattoos, and he's usually wearing, like, a leather vest. And I've never seen – you never see his face – even in his music videos, which are all very Lynchian and kind of surreal and strange. Um, but the the music itself is like this uh, surreal, haunting, melancholy country. Um, but it's not the kind of country that, like, is radio country. Um, oftentimes when I listen to radio country, I'm like, God, this, this sucks. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think that's a, a thought that a lot of people share. Um, unless you're really out there like, yee-yee! Um, Orville Peck's not like that at all. There's elements of, like, surf rock, like indie rock. It's much more like Elvis Presley, Roy Orbison type stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really, really cool. I like it quite a bit. Um, And that's available from Sub Pop. Um, Apple Music is where I'm listening to it, but I know they got a vinyl out there as well. Cool. I have to check it out now. Yeah, highly recommend it. Nice. Thanks for sharing. Sure. And you know what? If you like this show, because now we're at the end, so sad. You should share our show with your friends, man. <laughs> if you got this far, you definitely like us, or at yeah. least like what we're talking about. I'm likable. I, I would like to think I'm likable. So yeah, uh, please uh, please rate the show. Please share it. Um, please give us a review, too. Those were really helpful. Yeah, please. Absolutely. And we're going to keep on keeping on, guys. We'll, we'll be back here next Sunday. And thanks for listening. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. There's one for the uh, sound card. I just put it on the... Yeah, I just hit record. Yep. (laughs) Got it. Got it. See you guys. Bye.